0: You are listening to the Thoughts From a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I'd love to talk about books with anyone and everyone. While listening to my podcast, you will hear author interviews, behind the scenes conversations about various aspects of the publishing world, theme discussions with other book lovers, and more. For more book recommendations and a complete list of all of my interviews, check out my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. In 2022, I would love for you to join my Patreon group. I offer at least two bonus episodes a month and a monthly advanced read and pre-publication author chat. For those on Facebook, I host a special Patreon Facebook group where we all chat books. Thanks so much to those who already participate, and I hope you will consider joining us. Today, Kelly Hooker of Kelly Hook Reads Books is joining me to chat about our favorite books of January through March of 2022. Kelly is an avid reader, reviewer, and bookstagrammer. She works part-time as a speech pathologist in Michigan. She has two toddler boys and firmly believes that nap time is for novels. She is an audiobook enthusiast and loves hosting book club reads and author events. She creates beautiful seasonal reading guides to help readers pick up the right book at the right time. I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Kelly, and I hope you do too.
1: I'm Alison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast. I'm doing great. How are you, Cindy?
0: I'm doing great as well, and I am so happy that you are back to talk books with me again.
1: Thank you for having me. I am thrilled to chat about our favorites so far of the year.
0: I agree. So each of us has picked 10 books that are our favorites from January through March of 2022, and then we're also going to highlight two that we read in this time period but that were published in the past. So I'm really excited to hear what your selections are, see if we have any overlap, and just talk books with you.
1: Yeah, I can't wait to get started.
0: Well, why don't you start then? You can dive in. We're going by pub date. We decided that was the easiest way to organize them this time. So why don't you dive in to your first selection?
1: Sure. My first book is No Land to Light On by Yara Zeb. This came out January 4th, and I can't help but start out with my first five-star read of the year. I read this months ago, and I just can't stop thinking about how really achingly beautiful this story is. I also had the opportunity to co-host an author chat with Yara, which was incredible and that always adds to my appreciation for the story as well. So Noli On follows a young couple, Sama and Hadi, and they immigrated from Syria to build their life in Boston, and they had established a life in the US for a few years. And then in 2017, the Muslim travel ban left them separated and they were forced to really reconsider the meaning of home. So from the opening chapter, I was deeply invested in their lives. My heart just felt like it was in my throat, Um, even from the first chapter as this story unfolded. The couple was at the mercy of this system that really had no regard for their refugee status or the years that they had already been in the United States or the arrival of their newborn son who was in the NICU when Sama and Hadi were separated. This is a really quick read, but it just packs this serious emotional punch, which I know it wasn't for everybody, but I personally love that. Yara's writing is poetic, and I just loved how she explored deep longing and really the lengths that people will go to build a better life. She highlights the humanity of the Syrian people in a way that I hadn't read about before. And the other thing that was really unique that she did is she weaves metaphors about birds and their migration patterns throughout the story. And I'm not necessarily a bird person, but I just thought the way that she did this was so beautifully done. And during my author chat with Yara, she mentioned that this novel started out as her actual diary. And I didn't realize how deeply personal the story was for her until she mentioned that. But she is a Lebanese woman and was separated from her husband through a different executive order while her twins were in the NICU. And she talked about how Her initial rage at the situation eventually softened, and she was able to turn her anger into this novel. So I binged this book in two days with a combination of print and audio. The audio was great as well. And I highly, highly recommend No Land Till I Done by Yara Zeeb.
0: I've heard such good things about that one, and I was sad to miss your author talk, but I haven't read it yet.
1: Oh, I'll be waiting for when you get around to it because it's just so beautiful.
0: I have heard that. Well, I'm glad that you loved it.
1: Yes. What's first for you?
0: First for me is The High House by Jesse Greengrass. So this book came out in early January, and it's a new addition to the expanding genre of climate fiction. And I found it to be an unsettling, character-driven story. Francesca, a famous environmental scientist and activist, is preparing for the widespread disaster that will be coming due to climate change. Frustrated by a world that refuses to act She begins to secretly prepare a house she inherited in the country for her son, Polly, and stepdaughter, Caro, to retreat to once the rising tides arrive. When a cataclysmic disaster wipes out portions of the country, Polly and Caro head to the high house to escape and meet the two caretakers, Sally and Grandy, individuals Francesca hired to look out for her children. The two pairs learn to live together in the wake of tragedy, dwindling supplies and an uncertain future. I found The High House to be a quietly powerful novel that I won't soon forget. It is definitely a character-driven story that is not fast-paced, but it is incredibly thought-provoking. Really makes you think about what's coming, how everyone will deal with it, and what we can do now. I just thought it was so moving, just such a beautiful story. And that's The High House by Jesse Greengrass.
1: I read that one too, and I felt the same way, just how eerie the story is because it could be not far off in the future. It just adds this extra element of like suspense and urgency. I really liked that one too.
0: I think what's interesting about climate fiction, and I'm so happy that this is becoming a more popular genre, is that no one really knows exactly what's going to happen, so people are predicting it differently. And I just thought the rising waters is certainly something that people are beginning to talk more and more about as glaciers melt and things are happening like that. So I just thought it was very interesting to see her take on that and what people could do to prepare and what the world will look like. Absolutely. So what's your next one?
1: My next read is Honor by 3D Umrigar, and this came out January 4th as well. Honor is a moving own voices story that explores identity, cultural expectations, and love in this really deeply moving way. So the story follows Smita, and Smita is this Indian American journalist, and then Mina is a newly widowed mother, and she's living in Mumbai. And Mina finds herself in the midst of this terrible loss when her husband is murdered by her Hindu brothers because he is a Muslim. There's some really dark scenes in this novel, but what I loved most were the characters. On the surface, their lifestyles just seemed really different, but their hearts just shared the same longing for acceptance and deep connection. I'm really drawn to stories of sacrifice and loyalty, and this was certainly no exception. I found the cultural aspects of like urban life and rural life in India, as well as the aspect of the interfaith marriage, really fascinating and something that I hadn't read about before. This is a heartbreaking story, but also it left me feeling really hopeful. A love story was woven throughout the novel, which I think added this touch of lightness to, you know, some otherwise dark themes. I think Honor would be an incredible book club selection because it just really easily lends itself to these thought-provoking conversations. And I've seen some mixed reviews on this story as well, which I think that always makes for really great discussion. So I think if you enjoyed A Woman is No Man and that storyline, that you'll also enjoy Honor by 3D Umargar.
0: I have heard such good things about that book as well, but I've also heard how dark it is. And several people have said that they thought it was too dark for me. And it sounds too dark for me. I mean, it sounds beautiful, but I just, I can't do really grim right now.
1: Yeah, that's understandable. And it is graphic in some parts, but I think overall, if you're in the mood for a heavier read, it's a good pick.
0: Absolutely. And like I said, I've heard really great things about it. The idea of it as a book club selection is a great one, because I do think you're right when there's more to talk about. And if you have seen some mixed reviews, that makes for much better discussion. Yeah, I agree. What's next for you? So my next book is The Overnight Guest by Heather Guttenkopf. The premise of this thriller hooked me from the very beginning. True crime writer Wiley Lark is snowed in at this isolated farmhouse where she's gone to write her new book. The locale would be perfect, if not for the fact that decades earlier, at this very house, two people were murdered in cold blood and a girl disappeared without a trace. As the storm worsens, she finds herself trapped inside the house, haunted by both her own secrets and by the house's secrets. Then she discovers this small child in the snow just outside the house. No one else is around and she can't figure out where the child has come from. After she brings the child in for warmth and safety, she begins to search for answers which sends her down this long and windy path and all sorts of wild and crazy things happen. The twists and turns were a lot of fun in this one, and while I figured a few things out, there were enough surprises to keep me madly reading until I got to the very end. I thought it was a page-turner with a highly satisfying resolution. As you know, Kelly, and many listeners know, thrillers can be very hit or miss for me. Sometimes I just can't relate to the story or things get too far-fetched, And I just thought this one was very well done. And it's also got a stunning cover. And that is The Overnight Guest by Heather Goodenkoff.
1: This one sounds so good. You had me captivated when you were first talking about this. My issue is it's snowing here in Michigan in April, and I just need some lighter like summer reads. But I've put this on my TBR for next winter, so it will feel more atmospheric and timely.
0: You know, that's a good point. It's definitely a good one to be reading while you're curled up in front of the fire because it is freezing cold, super icy, you know, all this stuff is happening in the middle of this huge winter storm. So definitely either read it when you're in the winter or read it in the summer when you're ready for some cooler weather.
1: Yeah, I think that would be perfect.
0: Oh, and I forgot to mention when that one came out. It came out in January.
1: Okay. My next read is Notes on an Execution by Dania Kukovka. And this came out January 25th. I have yet another heavy read that released in January, but I promise I have more fun books ahead. But my year has started off a little a little grim here.
0: I'm laughing because I was like, okay, her books are really heavy so far.
1: <laughs> Don't worry, <laughs> we'll, we'll shift gears, but the, the first early part of January for me, I was I was in a mood here, but the books that were really resonating with me are heavier. So we'll we'll lighten it up soon. Notes on an Execution is an intimate character study of Ansel Packard, and he is a serial killer on death row. The story also follows the three women who have played a prominent role in his life. So the story follows his mother and then his ex-sister-in-law and the detective who worked to put him behind bars. This was really not the serial killer read that I expected, and I'm normally not into that sort of fiction. But I'm so glad that I picked this up. Through alternating perspectives and an hour-by-hour countdown to Ansel's execution, we get a glimpse into the childhood trauma that served essentially as the catalyst for landing Ansel on death row and how his young mom really was ill-equipped to be a mother and the struggles that she was going through. So it really focuses on her background as well. Ansel's chapters are narrated in the second person, which was a really unique stylistic choice because I felt like as a reader, it made me feel really unsettled. Like I was the person on death row and I was in Ansel's position. And I think that this style allowed me to muster up some empathy for a man who had committed really horrific crimes. I thought the writing was absolutely riveting. And like I said, the structure of the story is really unique and I hadn't read anything like it before. I really appreciated the questions that it raised about morality, and the choices that we make, and really the inherent goodness or evil of human nature. This was fantastic on audio. And really, despite the character driven pacing, I just wanted to do one more load of laundry. (laughs) I just couldn't stop listening. And I was just that captivated by it. So that was Notes on an Execution by Dania Kukovka. And that was a four and a half star read for me.
0: I have heard such great things about this one. But again, I just think I'd never sleep again if I read it.
1: Yeah, I think as a parent, it's a hard read too, because it forces you to think about how your parenting choices can impact your child.
0: There have been a lot of books like that lately that kind of focus on parents and how their choices and how their raising of their children have impacted their children. And As a parent, that just really can stress you out.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, hopefully you have a a lighter read coming up next. What do you have (laughs) next, Cindy?
0: I have The Magnolia Palace by Fiona Davis, which came out in late January. I am always a huge fan of Fiona's. She is delightful herself, and I love her books. I'm such a huge historical fiction fan. And she focuses on iconic New York City buildings as she writes her books. And so I just love learning about a new building and then going and visiting it afterwards when I get up to New York City. And I just feel like her books are such a treat. Her latest novel takes place at the Gilded Age home of industrialist Henry Frick. Using a dual timeline format, Davis toggles between 1919, when the Frick family still lives there, and 1966, when the home has become the Magnificent Frick Collection, a museum still in operation today. In the later timeline, a Vogue photo shoot is occurring, and when one of the models is fired along with a museum curator, they stumble across a hidden message that leads them on a hunt that uncovers the truth about a murder that occurred at the Frick years earlier. The Magnolia Palace started slowly for me, but then it gained momentum as Davis weaved the Frick family members into the story and provided interesting details and stories about the Odd family who created one of New York City's finest museums. I have always loved the Frick collection, so I was very excited when she said that's what she was writing about. The Frick has been closed, I think, since pre-COVID and is still closed. They have a little kind of pop up museum over on Madison, but I'm anxiously awaiting the Frick's reopening so I can go through it now that she's written this book about it. I had no idea how odd Henry Frick was and also how he went about collecting his art and just everything the family did and that this murder had occurred. I didn't know any of it. So it was just really fascinating to see this glimpse into this famous home, now museum that still remains with so many of those fifth avenue mansions gone it's always been such a treat for me to go through the frick so i thought this one was great it's probably my favorite of her books and i just thought it was wonderful and that's the magnolia palace by fiona davis
1: i read that one too i did enjoy it but i think that your appreciation for new york city because you've been there so often really just deepens your love for you know her books and i as i was reading this story, I just wanted to go there because I feel like just seeing the building in real life would make such a difference for what you're seeing on a fictional page.
0: I do think that's right. And kind of knowing more about the Frick, like I have been there, I understand his art collection. I know what it looks like. I love the Fifth Avenue Mansion aspect of it and that whole Gilded Age. I do think it can make a difference to have been familiar with some of these buildings as she writes about them.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So what's up for you?
1: Next up for me is The Violin Conspiracy by Brendan Slocum, and this came out February 1st. My musical experience is really limited to being a fourth chair clarinet in the seventh grade band, (laughs) (laughs) but even so, I just found myself oddly invested in the fate of this missing violin. This is a really fantastic debut that centers around African-American classical musician Ray McMillan. And when Ray's Stradivarius violin goes missing, he is desperate to find the culprit. This isn't just any violin. It's a family heirloom passed down from his ancestor who was enslaved, and it's valued at $10 million. So this is a slow burn mystery. There's not a lot of action in the middle, but I was still so invested. I just had to find out about the fate of this violin. In addition to Ray's search for his instrument, I appreciated the author's own voices perspective because he himself is a Black musician and violinist, and so he really touches on that perspective about what it's like to be an underrepresented classical musician. In the author's notes, he explains that many of the instances of blatant racism that Ray's character experienced were taken directly from his own life. So I just really appreciated hearing kind of that personal aspect to his story, um, because it's definitely one that I hadn't heard of before. I want to talk about the audiobook for a minute, because it was so, so good. The audiobook is narrated by J.D. Jackson. And I recognized his voice from his narration of Attica Locke's Bluebird Bluebird. It's just so distinct and low and just really draws you in. So he brought Ray's life and despair and desperation just to my ears in a a wonderful way. So I'd highly recommend the audiobook if you're gonna go that route. This was a four-star read for me, and that was The Violin Conspiracy by Brendan Slocum.
0: So as you know, this book was not a hit with me. I read it really early on, and I immediately could figure out who did it. So that sort of spoiled that for me. And then I just didn't feel like it was really a mystery. I felt like there was the mystery of the violin, but there wasn't very much focus on it. And it was so incredibly slow. So it just didn't work for me. I think it was a two star for me.
1: Oh, I didn't realize that. I think I read this over two days when we were traveling. So I think it was easier for me to get invested in the story because I kind of flew through it. But I can see if you had this in print and you're expecting more of a riveting kind of violin chase, that maybe this one not hit the mark for you.
0: I was. And again, I just knew who it was from the very beginning. So I was like, okay, is that really going to go that direction? Hopefully he's going to be more creative, but he wasn't. So then I was like, oh, but you know, that does happen. And like I said, I read it very early on, like maybe in September. And so I was surprised then when I started seeing all of this hype about it, because I thought, hm. but you know, again, it's one of those books that I think a lot of people are liking. Some people aren't, and those make great conversation pieces.
1: Agreed. Yep. It's so interesting how that happens, and I love to hear a different perspective.
0: Absolutely. And I'm glad you liked it, and I've seen all sorts of glowing reviews about it as well. Yeah.
1: What's next for you?
0: My next one is The Last Grand Duchess by Bryn Turnbull. I love historical fiction, and I have several titles that are in that genre on this list, and this is definitely one of the standouts. I loved her first book, The Woman Before Wallace, so I was really excited to dive into this one. Grand Duchess Olga Romanoff was the oldest daughter of Tsar Nicholas II of Russia, and this historical fiction novel tells her lesser-known story. I have always been completely intrigued by Anastasia's story and have read so much about it, but I'd never really thought about her other sisters. And also, really, so much of Anastasia's story focuses on the pretenders and what happened after the family died. So I realized as I read, I knew very little about the family and what led up to their execution. Brought up at the glittering Alexander Palace, Olga and her sisters are sheltered from the world around them. When war breaks out, the sisters work as nurses, tending to Russian officers. But tensions in Russia begin to build as the threat of revolution looms over them. The Last Grand Duchess delves into the buildup to the Romanov's demise, the numerous factors that contributed, and what life was like for them as their world closed in around them, while breathing life into the family, particularly the children who were punished for the behavior of their very out-of-touch parents. I learned so much as I read this gripping account of the buildup to the Romanovs' execution, and I feel like this book is a must-read for anyone who enjoys history. I just was completely fascinated by how out of touch the Romanovs were. Like I just didn't realize that, and that they were doing these tours of the country, which are kind of a little bit reminiscent of what Will and Kate just went through in the islands that they were visiting in the Caribbean, but where they were touring around thinking everybody loved them, and instead everybody was like, Okay, this is not working for us. Let's do something different. And that they just completely isolated themselves. So they really didn't have a pulse for what was happening out in their country. And I just didn't really know any of that and how many times they were moved and what those places were like. One thing I felt was it would have been super helpful to have a map and a little better understanding of some of the locations. But other than that, I just thought the book was fabulous. And that was The Last Grand Duchess by Britain Turnbull.
1: That sounds so good. And again, I think would be, for me at least, something that I had not read about before. And I can totally see myself going down some Google deep dives um, into following this family that I really don't know much about. So that sounds great.
0: That's how I was. And I definitely spent a lot of time on Google, first trying to kind of figure out where they were because I wasn't familiar with some of those locations in Russia, but also just to see what the homes looked like and what some of the people that were mentioned looked like. It was just completely fascinating.
1: That sounds great.
0: So what's up for you?
1: Next for me is Shadows of Pecan Hollow by Caroline Frost, and this came out February 8th. This was a fantastic debut and really just the type of slow burn suspense that I personally love. The story follows smooth talker Manny Romero as he crosses paths with Kit Walker, who is a foster child 20 years younger than him. At 13 years old, Kit is enamored with Manny's attention and growing affections despite his criminal lifestyle and increasingly manipulative behavior. So we watch as over the years, Manny grooms Kit to be his criminal sidekick and ultimately engages in an intimate relationship with her when she turns 16. This is not easy reading to start with. I'm kind of just, I felt so tense, like, no, 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 no. But you can see it heading that direction. The story is told in dual timelines, and first we meet the duo in the 1970s at the height of their criminal pursuits, and then we follow them 20 years later when Manny is released from prison, and he's seeking to reconnect with Kit. Like I said, the story is so tense, and it's set in East Texas, which felt really atmospheric and kind of gritty in the 1970s. This book is dark, and it's deeply unsettling, which could be the theme of my early 2022 reads, but I couldn't put it down. Trigger warnings abound. So if you have concerns, please reach out to me, but I don't want to be spoilery in revealing any of those specifics. Caroline Frost explores vulnerabilities of children in foster care and the impressionable nature of young girls in a really compelling way. I had the opportunity to be a participant in an author chat with her, and I asked her how did you? What was your research like to really understand what it would be like to be a vulnerable child in foster care? Um, and she actually is a psychotherapist by trade, um, and this really informed her research and writing, which makes complete sense. She just had such a grasp of trauma and how that can play out as an adult. And it's. She also mentioned that the story took her ten years to write. And I I think that also makes complete sense because it's the way that everything comes full circle is so thorough and thoughtful. Overall, I just love the themes of loyalty, community, and the search for belonging. And this is a story that originally I rated four and a half stars, but I think I might consider bumping it up because of how often I still think about it. That was Shadows of Pecan Hollow by Caroline Frost.
0: Well, as you know, again, this is another one of those that I struggled with. I read it not that early on, but I'd heard really mixed reviews. And so I wanted to see what it was all about. And I liked it at the beginning. I mean, it is dark and it's a grim subject matter, but then it just goes off the rails in like the last third of the book for me. I just thought it was so unrealistic. And just truly, I thought it was almost like a made for school, made for TV school special at the end. And I just couldn't deal with that. Like it, it really bothered me.
1: Yeah, that was that was the one reason initially that I had kind of bumped it down to four and a half stars is there was one scene in particular that felt like it was, yeah, an after-school special, and it was like a little too heartwarming for the story overall. But just the way that the story sat with me, I really enjoyed it. Sorry it was a miss for you.
0: Oh, that happens. Absolutely. And I mean, to me, books that stay with me, like you're describing it staying with you, are the books that I like the best. And Definitely I think there have been a fair amount of mixed reviews for that one but people either really love it or really don't like it. You know there doesn't seem to be a lot of in between.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit of a polarizing read for sure.
0: And that's okay cuz again like you said that those books are the ones that I think really do cause people to have conversations and want to read and all of that. So there is definitely nothing wrong with having various opinions about a book. No,
1: I think it's I think it's fun.
0: I think it's fun too.
1: What's your next read?
0: My next one is Love and Saffron by Kim Fay. I just loved this book so much. I love books written in epistolary format. So I think from the beginning, that really sat well with me. It's a short book in an era of way too long books that seem like they need to be edited down all the time. So I was very happy to have a book I could sit down and get through it quickly. Everything was still in there that needed to be wonderful characters, wonderful story, but it didn't just go on and on. So it's set in the 1960s, and it tracks the friendship between two women, Imogene and Joan, as they get to know each other through letters. Imogene is a longtime columnist for a magazine and lives on Kamano Island near Seattle. Joan, who is younger, is a new food columnist in Los Angeles. When Joan writes Imogene a fan letter and encloses a recipe and some saffron, the women begin a correspondence that develops into a wonderful relationship. Incorporating the history of the era, food, and personal tidbits, the women bond and become close friends as they correspond about their lives. This novel is filled to the brim with humor and heart and is a joy from start to finish. I was surprised that it actually delves into a little bit more serious topics than I was expecting, but that was wonderful. I felt like it just made the book an even deeper and better read. I just thought it was such a beautiful book. And that's Love and Saffron by Kim Faye.
1: Oh, I loved that one too. And I normally don't enjoy heartwarming books as much as other readers seem to. But I think this, when I was reading this, I was thinking about you. And I I think I shared that with you. I just love like how these women formed a friendship, even though they're in different parts of the country and different phases of life. And yeah, it just, it made me feel so full inside. I loved it.
0: That made me so happy when you said that. And now every time I see the book, I always think of you. (laughs) But uh, that's so interesting about not liking heartwarming stories.
1: I know. I don't know what that says about me, but I do I do enjoy them, but it needs to be kind of a palate cleanser read. And then when I compare my thoughts on the book compared to rave reviews that other people have, I just don't seem to like be at that same level of excitement or enjoyment for heartwarming stories as I do for other reads.
0: Well, I think it's so fun to learn different things about people in their reading habits, And what appeals to them and what doesn't. Because definitely, as I said earlier, those books that stick with you are the ones that you're going to love the most. And it just really depends on what hits you, you know? Exactly. So what's up for you?
1: Okay, I can't wait to talk about this read. This is Woman on Fire by Lisa Barr, and it came out March 1st. And this is my second five-star read of the year. And I just cannot help but rave about this book. I just want to push it into everybody's hands. A Woman on Fire is everything a five-star read should be. We have an exhilarating art heist, a manipulative maniac, and an eager young journalist that's really at the heart of it all. Journalist Jules Roth finds herself in the midst of an international art scandal as she searches for a stolen Nazi-era painting. Ernst Engel's infamous Woman on Fire painting resurfaces after being missing for decades, and so many people are laying stake to its claim. A rich cast of characters raced to track down the highly sought after painting, and it just made for an incredible story. To me, there's nothing better than a genre mashup, and this story certainly delivers in that department. So we have a layered historical mystery, this thriller-esque ending, and then there's a little bit of romance to boot. And I just think that there's something here for everybody. Lisa Barr has written a really gripping story that I feel like was really unputdownable. I was so invested in the fate of the painting and the livelihood of these characters. This story, as I was reading it, it really unfolded like a movie in my mind. It was so cinematic in the way that I could picture everything. So I wasn't surprised to find that Woman on Fire is heading to the big screen, starring Sharon Stone. And I loved your interview with Lisa and Just to learn more about her background, and I can't wait to hear you talk more about that. I'm also excited to co-host a book club and author chat with Lisa at the end of the month. And that was Woman on Fire by Lisa Barr.
0: I can't wait to participate in your book chat because I love this book as well. And I just loved the art aspects of it, you know, kind of the deep dive into the art world and everything that happens there. I loved the Nazi theft aspects of it and the things that Lisa actually based on events that really happened, which were just fascinating. I don't want to spoil anything because that part of the story is so captivating, but I just thought it was fantastic. This one's on my list as well, so I'll just talk about it right now since it came up for you sooner than it will come up for me. But I loved chatting with her, and I was really enthralled with how she came up with the idea for the painting and I asked her a lot about that, like, did she visualize it? And she said it literally just kind of came to her, and she was able to put that to the page so well. Didn't you feel like you could envision what the painting looked like?
1: Yes, it almost. I was googling because so I'm like, well, surely this must be a real painting, but it's it's so interesting how she brought that to life.
0: I agree. And again, I can't wait to chat with her with your event at the end of April and hope other people will join in. I know you've already had a huge sign up.
1: Yeah, yeah, we have I think about 70 people signed up. And I just think the more the merrier. I think it's going to be a great time chatting about this book. It was such a pleasant surprise for me. I'm not typically invested or interested in art. And so to just be swept away by a story for a topic that I didn't think I would initially love was so fun for me.
0: And the characters are so fabulous. You know, they're different and there's different aspects to them and things that I'm not sure I would normally be drawn to. I just thought she handled so well.
1: Yeah, she definitely did. Good. But what book is next for you?
0: The Cartographers by Pung Shepherd. So as you know, because you participated, my Patreon group was able to read this one early and meet with her on Zoom, which I thought was such a treat because there is so much behind the scenes detail in this book, and to listen to how she came up with the story. And how it all came about, and then her writing process is fascinating. So I just really enjoyed the book, and I think after speaking with her, I enjoyed it even more. When Nell Young's estranged father, a renowned cartographer, is found dead in the New York Public Library where he works, she discovers that he was clutching the very same basic gas station map that caused their falling out years before. Curious about the importance of the map and its potential link to her father's death, Nell conducts research and discovers that the map is exceedingly rare, in fact, it is the only one left of its kind because an unknown collector has destroyed everyone but the one her father owned. Baffled by this bizarre discovery, Nell sets out to uncover the secrets behind the map. I love the New York Public Library setting, the deep dive into maps, and the little bit of magical realism that is present in this one. I found it to be a unique and creative tale with an intelligent and engaging plot, and I highly recommend it. My dad worked for Exxon for his entire career, so we had a million of these gas station maps And I think that's what first drew me to the story, because for some reason, those kinds of maps have appeared in numerous stories in recent years. And I'm always dying to read about them, I guess because we use them so much growing up. But she really tackles a lot of different things in this story in terms of using of maps and a creative way maps could be used, stories about maps that have happened in the past with different companies creating the maps and What happened and how they try to protect their work that have gone into their particular maps and these phantom settlements that have arisen. I just thought all of that was so cool. And then on top of it, to think about the way we use maps today and GPS and how we're really so tied to our phones and that alters the way we travel and the way we road trip. All of it to me was just so creative. It's a really intelligent story. And that's The Cartographers by Pung Shepard.
1: I really enjoyed that one too. I should have included it on my list, but I'm glad you did. I loved how she referred to maps as just a way to connect people. And I hadn't thought of that aspect before. And I love your personal connection to the story, too, with your dad and having all of these maps around. I think that's great. And with this story, too, I was a little hesitant about the magical realism aspect because sometimes that doesn't land for me. But for whatever reason, it really worked here in the story. And I thought the story was better because of it.
0: I agree. I'm not usually a magical realism person either. But I definitely think it added a lot to this story. And it was just so creative. And again, it's one of those things that I continue to think about. Like, what if that could happen in real life? And how cool would it be? And I just thought it was so well done.
1: I did, too. I'm glad you brought that one.
0: So what's up for you next?
1: The Unsinkable Greta James by Jennifer E. Smith. And this came out March 1st.
0: I love this one.
1: Yes. After a few heavy reads, (laughs) as you've seen. I just really was craving a lighthearted palate cleanser that wasn't a rom-com. Um, the unsinkable Greta James really fit that bill perfectly. In the wake of her mother's death, famed musician Greta James is reeling after this disastrous concert and relationship fallout. And she reluctantly sets sail with her father on the Alaskan cruise that he had originally planned to take with her mother to celebrate their 40th wedding anniversary. I loved Greta's character. She was just so fiercely independent and she was really convicted in her aspirations to become a musician. And she did that really despite the pushback that she had received from her father over the years. And her dad was just so practical and he wanted what was best for her. He wasn't trying to be, you know, negative, but you could really see kind of both sides of their perspective, which I liked. And of course, what would cruising with a bruised heart be without a little romance? I appreciated that Greta's romantic life wasn't the main event of the story here. It was present. I don't mind romance as a subplot, but I really want there to be more layers and depth to the story for me to feel invested, and I thought that Jennifer E. Smith did that so well. I just like how she explored complicated family relationships and romance and really moving forward after loss in a thoughtful way. I thought this story had similar themes to One Italian Summer. And was also a little reminiscent of Songs in Ursa Major with the feature of a female musician. And I enjoyed both of those stories. So I think if you um, are looking for something similar, The Unsinkable Greta James would be a good pick. Also, if you're a fan of the TV show Parenthood, the audiobook is narrated by Mae Whitman, who I thought did a phenomenal job. And Cindy, I loved your interview with Jennifer, and I just hope that it finds its way into the hands of more readers. That was The Unsinkable Greta James by Jennifer E. Smith.
0: I just loved this book so much. I read it really early on, and what drew me in was the female musician. I just love any books about female musicians, so I automatically pick them up and read them. So I wasn't sure what to expect. I wasn't familiar with Jennifer E. Smith, and I wasn't sure what I was going to think, and I literally devoured this book in like a day. I just thought it was so beautiful, and then I set out trying to make sure I could interview Jennifer E. Smith, which took me a while to get to her, but I did eventually. And I really learned even more from interviewing her. And she talked about how she views the story as sort of four love stories, Greta and her music, Greta and Alaska, Greta and her dad. The fourth one is Greta and the love interest in the story, whose name I think is Ben. And so I just thought that was such an interesting way to view it. I lost my mom in September. And so I was a little anxious about reading this one since it's all about Greta and her father Conrad's dealing with the grief of losing her mother. But really, it actually made me feel better. Like I was able to sort of relate to some of what Greta was going through, and it helped me kind of reconcile some of my own feelings. And also then I have been to Alaska on a cruise, and it was one of the best trips we've ever taken with my family, including my parents. So all of that was really fun, too. So I think all the way around, this book just really checked all the boxes for me, and I have been telling everyone to read it. I think it's a great book. It has depth, as you described, but it'll also make a wonderful vacation read.
1: Yeah, I can see why you resonated so deeply with this story just based on your mom and the trip that you guys had taken together. I think that's wonderful.
0: Well, this one was on my list as well, and I just think it's outstanding.
1: Agreed. Next for me is Booth by Karen Joy Fowler, and this came out March 8th. Of all my reads so far this year, This has been my most unexpected surprise. Also, I have to mention that the cover is stunning. It's purple and blue and orange, so take a look at that cover. But Booth is a really fascinating work of historical fiction that explores the family dynamics of John Wilkes Booth leading up to his infamous assassination of Abraham Lincoln. I was really surprised to find that the event of the assassination and even John Wilkes himself weren't the center of the book, and the author did that intentionally. Instead, she focused on the history of the entire Booth family unit with alternating perspectives, mainly from John's siblings. He actually came from a family of famous actors, which is why when he showed up in the theater to assassinate Lincoln, nobody really batted an eye because he was from this famous Booth family of actors. So the novel read like a really compelling and detailed character study that explored the family of a man who had committed a terrible act of violence and how it impacted them. And while the author took creative license with some aspects, it is heavily inspired by detailed letters from John's siblings. And these letters were often stranger than fiction. The amount of research that Karen Joy Fowler put into this novel is really staggering. The story was reminiscent of Betty and Educated. I was really fascinated by this family that was marked by these famous actors, but then really the dad had a lot of mental health instability, which is kind of what made me think of Educated. And then they also experienced ongoing tragedies and loss. Um, There were 10 children in the family, and I think four or five of them ended up dying at a young age. And so it just kind of seemed like the hits kept coming, which reminded me of, of Betty. Despite the nearly 500-page length, I found the story compelling, and it was really easy to breeze through in a couple days, which I did not think was going to be possible with a historical fiction read like this. But I think that if you are a reader who is interested in a fresh perspective on American history, that you'll appreciate the unique story of the Booth family. And that was Booth by Karen Joy Fowler.
0: That has been on my list, but it is so long, and since I wasn't interviewing her, it just kind of keeps getting bumped. But you raved about it, and somebody else raved about it recently, so it's moved back up my list, and it does have a stunning cover. So I need to get to it. And I've always been completely fascinated with the Booth family. I know some about them, but I would love to learn more, and I just keep seeing rave reviews about that one lately, and I'm excited to get to it.
1: Yeah, it definitely was a completely different reading experience from any other historical fiction book that I read before. So I just, I thought it was really fresh and, and unique.
0: And I'm always up for those. I think it's wonderful when there are fresh and unique reads.
1: Yes, definitely. What's next for you?
0: My next one is I Must Betray You by Ruta Sepetis. Oh my gosh, this book. I can't even tell you. I sat down to just flip through it because I was really curious about the story and I've always thought, I don't know that much about Romania, but I was in college when all of the events of this book unfolded. And so I was curious to go back and kind of see them from a new lens. I have literally been recommending it to everyone I know. It's YA, but it's called a crossover book, which means they're marketing it to both adult and YA, and it didn't feel like a YA read to me at all. And in light of the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, the book's premise is even more relevant. This historical thriller is set during the time period leading up to Romania's 1989 revolution and the ousting of its charismatic but brutal leader, Nikolai Ceausescu. Insulated and living in constant fear, Romanians must survive under the oppressive regime that governs their country. There is little food, the electricity is randomly turned off and on, no outside media is allowed, and everyone worries about who they can trust and who they cannot, even family members are suspect. Sapetis vividly depicts life there during this time period, a period many will be unfamiliar with, and how one man managed to fool the world for far too long. I have not stopped thinking about this book since I finished it, and it will definitely be one of my top reads of the year. It is truly stunning. I just felt like she captured what it would be like to live in that environment where everything is bugged. And you know, like I said, your electricity is turning on and off. So sometimes you have heat, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you have air conditioning, sometimes you don't. You have no idea who to trust, even within your family unit. Everyone is turning on each other. You're living under this violent and brutal leader who then once he was assassinated, everybody learned he had been taking all of the money that could have been helping people and putting it into this beautiful palace in which he was living. So he was not walking the walk nor talking the talk. So I just thought it was such an intriguing read. And as I said, now that everything's been unfolding in Ukraine with Russia under Putin, it's particularly a relevant read. I just thought it was outstanding. And that's I Must Betray You by Ruta Sepetis.
1: You have me sold on this book. I've seen nothing but rave reviews and I actually just checked on Goodreads. It's got a 4.5 rating with almost 10,000 ratings, which is very high. So I plan to pick this up.
0: I have literally heard from so many people who I'm like, you must read this book, say, oh my gosh, it was fantastic. And I haven't heard a single person say they didn't like it. I just thought it was so well done. And I loved the characters and you're just kind of on the edge of your seat wondering, who it is that's doing what and what's going to happen and how it's all going to unfold. It's just really, really good.
1: Have you read Salt to the Sea, one of her previous books?
0: I need to. I've actually not read any of her previous books. My middle daughter has read a couple of them and loved them. So I saw her speak with my daughter at a Teen Con event here in Houston when Between Shades of Grey came out, and it came out at the same time as the other Shades of Grey book, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. And so she just has the most hilarious stories to tell about people confusing the two and people talking to her husband at work about the book, thinking that it was Fifty Shades of Grey. And instead, it was this Lithuanian World War II story. Oh no. So um, yeah, she's a to Yeah, exactly. It was very, very entertaining. But I just, I've only read this one, but I need to go back and read all of her books because everybody just raves about them.
1: Yeah, I've read three of them. And I typically don't love YA reads. They don't I don't know, stick with me, but her books, like you said, do not feel like you're reading a YA novel, which I love.
0: I've thought a lot about the fact that they categorize them as YA as to why they do that, because to me, it doesn't really seem like a YA book, but it could be, I guess. But I'm wondering if they're really trying to make sure they get taught in schools and they're picked up that way. That's all I can figure.
1: Yeah, and just the ages of the protagonist, maybe, but...
0: Yeah, maybe. Okay. Well, good. Well, what's up next for you?
1: Next for me is Tell Me Everything, the story of a private investigation by Erica Krause, and this came out on March 15th. This, I think, is my favorite nonfiction new release of the year so far. Tell Me Everything is part memoir and part national scandal expose. So, author Erica Krause shares her own personal story as a private investigator working to hold a college football program and student athletes accountable for multiple sexual assaults. It's so interesting to me because essentially Erica stumbled into her career as a private investigator. Prior to this role, she had had a hodgepodge of jobs and really no formal training in this field. But how she got connected to becoming a private investigator was people just naturally would tell her things, unsolicited things about their life that they really hadn't told anybody. And a man just had opened up to her about something that he had never opened up to her about before. And he said, you know what, you need to come work for me. Like, if you can draw this information out of me, I've never told anybody this, like you need to be working for me. So I thought that was interesting how that came into play. But despite her lack of experience, her instincts and her own personal history of sexual abuse as she grew up, really enabled people to share information with her that had eluded other investigators. So she takes this skill and really puts it to work to solve some of these cases. And Erica's investigations led her to her involvement in what became a really historic civil rights case. So given the graphic subject matter, this is a difficult read, especially when Erica delves into her childhood and her own experiences. But I do think it sheds light on the systemic issues surrounding campus assaults that are perpetrated by these seemingly invincible student-athletes. So readers who were drawn to Chanel Miller's memoir, Know My Name, or have an interest in college sports, will want to pick up Tell Me Everything by Erica Kraus,
0: And it has a fabulous cover. I just love that cover.
1: It's so unique, yeah.
0: But it is definitely too graphic for me, but I was just thinking that a good one to analogize to it would be Know My Name. And those stories are just way too depressing for me, but I think they're incredibly important, and I'm glad they're getting out there.
1: Me too. I did this on audio, and for me, sometimes I can take in heavier reads when I'm listening versus when I'm reading it on the page for some reason. And that might just be my own preference, but the audiobook, I finished it again in a couple of days. And so it didn't feel like I was spending all of this, you know, time reading about these cases. It was just kind of a quick listen, but I really, I really enjoyed listening.
0: That's a good suggestion.
1: What is next for you?
0: It's my last one. And it's The White Girl by Tony Birch. So I stumbled across this book, and my parents lived in Australia for four years, and I loved visiting them, got to spend a fair amount of time there, thought it was a wonderful country, saw various different places in the country, and just really enjoyed my time there. So as soon as I saw that this book was available, I knew I had to read it. It also has this beautiful, beautiful cover that is so evocative of Australia. So I don't even have the words to convey how much I loved it. It is just a wonderful book. Again, it's another short one, but there is so much information and so many great characters and so much happens, but it's just written in this spare, beautiful prose and you're able to get through it very quickly and it's not bogged down with a lot of extra stuff that doesn't need to be there. It's set in the 1960s Australian town of Dean, a fictional town representative of every town in Australia, Odette Brown and her fair-skinned granddaughter, Sissy live in the aboriginal section of the town, Quarrytown, and are subject to the restrictions placed on them by the welfare authorities. When a new policeman arrives, Odette realizes that Sissy is in danger of being taken from her with absolutely no recourse on Odette's part, because during this time period, aboriginal people could not be Australian citizens, nor even make basic decisions for themselves, such as when and where to travel, or what job they would hold. Birch vividly describes what it was like to live as an Aboriginal person then and the countless hardships they endured while also weaving in a beautiful tale of family and the lengths that people will go in order to protect each other. I loved Odette, and her strength and perseverance against all odds will stay with me for a very long time. Tony based the strong female characters on his own relatives, and I just thought that was such a wonderful connection because he's able to write this older woman so well. And I asked him about that when I interviewed him because I was just curious if he had found that difficult. And he said he was raised by all of these strong women. And so it wasn't difficult at all. And that he gets asked that all the time, which I thought was interesting. But I also just thought with this focus these days on what's happened in the past here in Canada recently, Australia, it was interesting to compare and contrast the story of the way Native peoples were treated various places and how it unfolded for them. And he and I had a long conversation about that in our interview as well. And I felt it was really interesting to understand some of the differences and the similarities. But again, I just absolutely love this one. And it's The White Girl by Tony Birch.
1: I hadn't heard of that one until you interviewed him. And it sounds really interesting. Was this released in Australia a few years ago?
0: It was. So it was released in Australia several years ago. And I asked him about that as well, because I thought it was really interesting that it was just recently released here. And he thought it had a bit to do with how everybody is now really focusing on some of the things that have happened, like in Canada and in various aspects of the U.S. with respect to the treatment of the First Nations people. So yes, it was interesting to see. And he has won all sorts of awards as an Aboriginal writer in Australia.
1: Interesting. That sounds like a great pick.
0: It was really good. What's up for you?
1: The Diamond Eye by Kate Quinn, and this just came out on March 29th. Just when I thought that I was burnt out on World War II fiction, Kate Quinn has really sucked me back in. I think as an author, she has this uncanny ability to highlight true stories of overlooked women from the past. The Diamond Eye is based on Mila Pavlichenko, and she is also known as Lady Death. Mila is a single mother and history student, And she becomes a skilled sniper with over 300 kills for the Red Army. The timing of this book is eerily relevant um, because the story takes place in present-day Ukraine as the Soviet Union was faced with a German invasion. The story alternates between Mila in the trenches and then 18 months later when she takes a goodwill trip to the United States. And while she's in the States, she develops this unlikely friendship with First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt, which I thought was so interesting and historically accurate. The audiobook is narrated by Saskia Marleveld, who has narrated all of Kate's previous novels. I just love her narration so much because she does so well with the various accents and different characters. So I actually listened to this as I read it in the physical format as well. It almost feels like you're listening to a full cast recording the way that she's able to narrate. So I'd highly recommend that. I just love that this story was a completely different perspective on World War II that I had never read about before. I was just so lost in the trenches with Mila. There's really a focus on, you know, heavy combat. So if you're not ready for that right now, that could be something to to keep in mind. But I was just really sucked into this story. What else was fun is there is a reference to Nina, and she's a character from um, one of Kate's previous novels, The Huntress. And it's so fun to pick up on like those little nuggets that the author leaves and kind of references their previous books or characters. So that was a fun connection. Mila had a really instrumental role in securing a win for the Allies, and I'm so glad that her story is finally being told. That was The Diamond Eye by Kate Quinn.
0: I still need to get to that one, and I've heard such wonderful things. And I think it is so interesting how relevant it is to everything happening in Ukraine right now.
1: Yeah, I just can't imagine that when Kate was writing this story that she, you know, could imagine the world that it was the book was going to be released in. But it's it's incredibly timely.
0: It is. So that wraps up our 10. And it was really interesting to see. We did have a couple overlaps, which is fun. And then I loved hearing the ones that you recommend. I've added several to my list. And it's always just Fun to hear what you've read and loved. Likewise. Now I would love to hear your two that you read during this time period, but that were published prior to 2022.
1: Yes. I finally read The Stationery Shop by Marjan Kamali. There is something really special about a story that spans decades. And as a reader, I love the bird's eye view of watching characters evolve over the course of their lives. The Stationery Shop is a really tender story about young love and cultural change and the paths in life not taken. The story follows Bauman and Roya, and they are a young Iranian couple, and they fall madly in love, but they fall in love amidst the backdrop of really severe political unrest. And so due to circumstances outside of their hands, their love is not able to withstand the political climate. But as serendipity would have it, they reconnect decades later. At the heart of the story is a stationery shop in Tehran that serves a special purpose for these characters. I was just so invested in the love story and the mystery of what had happened, and it was completely transported to 1950s Tehran. And my knowledge of the Middle East history is lacking compared to other areas of the world, but the way that Iranian history was presented, I felt like was really accessible and intriguing. And I felt like I had a good grasp of what was going on. And it also made me want to delve more into similar books that focus on history in this part of the world. I just love the way that the book explored family and cultural expectations, and how our decisions can impact our family for generations to come. I'm so glad that I finally made the stationery shop by Marjan Kamali a priority.
0: That was one of my favorite books the year that it came out. It was definitely in my top 10 list. It's just such a beautiful and sad story, but I just loved it. And what a cover.
1: Yes, I was going to mention the cover is beautiful and it's got like a little gold
0: accent, which is beautiful. I have been anxiously awaiting her next book. So hopefully at some point she will have another one coming out.
1: Yes, this came out in June 2019. So maybe we're due.
0: I hope so. So, my first is Shadow Divers by Robert Kerson, which is an older book. I think it came out in the maybe mid 2000s. So, Mark Pearson, Libro FM's founder and CEO, recommended this one when he came on my podcast. And I had heard great things about it and just never gotten to it. Robert Kerson's book, Rocket Men, about the Apollo 8 mission, is one of my all time favorite nonfiction books. My daughter's read it. She loved it. In fact, it's one that I feel like I'm due to pick up again. It is just. So fast-paced, so fascinating, and I just loved it. So I was really eager to dive into Shadow Divers. Shadow Divers follows a group of men who inadvertently discover a U-boat submarine. When they first discover it, they don't realize it's a U-boat. They just know it's some kind of submarine. So the first thing that they do, they spend several years deep diving because it's in very deep water off the coast of New Jersey diving over and over again into the sub, taking different people down with them. There are some definite heartbreaking things that happen as some of them go down to try to investigate the submarine, but to try to figure out if it is a U-boat or what type of submarine it is. And then once they finally do discover that it is a U-boat, figure out which U-boat it is. So they spend years diving the boat and then they spend years researching what boat it could be because based on records and all these different people they contact around the world, no U-boat was supposed to be off of the coast of New Jersey at the end of World War II. And so it's just absolutely fascinating, intriguing look at how they determine what boat this is. And they do ultimately figure it out. And it's so interesting to see how records that were just quickly changed or quickly marked down ended up impeding so much of their research and how things have changed in terms of, you know, how things were recorded then versus how they would be recorded now. But it was just so, so interesting, such a wild story. And I did it on audio, and I just highly recommend it. And that is Shadow Divers by Robert Curson.
1: That's great. I love that recommendation. And I actually got it from the library for my husband. And so he read it and really liked it too. So if you're looking for a book for the man in your life, that could be a good pick too.
0: Absolutely, because there is a lot about naval technology and submarines and how they distinguish. But on audio, I could just kind of move on through that. But most of the time it's really about these men and and the lengths they went to once they determined that, you know, men had obviously gone down with the ship and that they wanted to make sure that they let families know what had happened to their loved ones.
1: Definitely. Next for me is What Happened to You? Conversations on Trauma, Resilience, and Healing by Bruce D. Perry and Oprah. It is rare that I completely binge a nonfiction book. And it's equally rare that I recommend a book to everyone. And I mean, absolutely everyone, like all the people on the face of the earth. But here we are, this is that book for me. What happened to you reframes the question, what's wrong with you? Oprah and trauma expert Dr. Bruce D. Perry explore cases of trauma and how our experiences unconsciously shape us. This is a really informative book, but Oprah is so vulnerable in sharing her own story. It read part memoir in that regard. She opens up about her personal history of childhood trauma and the ways that it's manifested in her adult life. I just thought that the writing was so engaging and the audiobook reads like a podcast interview. So it didn't feel like a textbook at all, even though some of the information could be in that format, but because of the podcast interview setup, it was so intriguing to me. There are even clips from Oprah's show to go along with some of the cases that they highlight in the book. So if you're listening on audio, you get that extra little treat of those clips. I just highly recommend this read for anyone who has experienced trauma, knows somebody who's experienced trauma, or works with people in truly any capacity. So a healthcare worker, a teacher, um, are specific jobs that are coming to mind. At times, the subject matter was heavy, but ultimately, these stories felt like a beacon of hope. And that was What Happened to You, Conversations on Trauma, Resilience, and Healing by Bruce D. Perry and Oprah. And this is my only five-star nonfiction book of the year.
0: I had never heard of this one until you posted about it recently. It sounds interesting.
1: Yeah, I know it won't be for everybody, but I do think that if you pick it up, you can surely get something that will be applicable to your life from this book.
0: Absolutely. It sounds like it would definitely be a helpful read. Yes. What's next for you? So my last one is The Buses Are a Comin'" by Charles Person. I partly read, partly listened to this one, and I highly recommend both. The audiobook is fantastic, and the book includes some amazing photos from the Freedom Rides. Buses Are a Comin'" should be required reading in the United States because this personal history of the Freedom Rides of 1961 is quite an amazing story, but it is also truly horrifying at times. It often made me feel really mad and really sad. The bravery and strength of the individuals who participated in these rides to secure equal rights for all in the face of such pure hatred was mind-boggling to me. The fact that some people were so upset by integration that they would wait for buses to arrive just to torment and attack the riders is crazy to me. But I was also so impressed by those who were willing to risk everything to secure the rights they should already have. And that was the thing that just kind of over and over again stuck with me, is that some people were so willing to try to prevent other people from sharing the rights that they took for granted for these poor souls that had to do everything in a second-class manner. It just really was very hard to stomach. I learned a ton about the buildup to these rides and the clever strategies used to prevail. This book is a fabulous history lesson, as well as a good reminder about sticking up for what you believe and doing what is right. And I just highly, highly recommend it. And that was The Buses Are A Comin' In by Charles Person.
1: That sounds like such a moving read. I'm definitely adding that to my TBR.
0: I think it was a very interesting read. And I think it provides a good history lesson for people that weren't around when some of this was happening to kind of understand how we got to where we are now.
1: Yeah, that, I think that sounds like an important one.
0: Well, Kelly, this has been wonderful. I loved hearing about all of your reads. As I said before, I've definitely added several to my list. And it's really fun to hear what resonated with you and why.
1: Yes, thank you so much for having me. I love chatting books with you as always. And it's so fun to hear your highlights of the year.
0: Well, thanks again for coming on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. Bye, Cindy. Thank you.
1: You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes. And luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of Seven Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts. And I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style. And together we're going to try to make sense of the world all through the art of storytelling and all in
0: approximately seven minutes. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at thoughts from a page, consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the show and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. I hope you'll tune in next time.
1: Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit?